Today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, so fuel availability is a problem. We have enough to get started. But we will get enough to get finished uh, planting and let alone harvesting. Good afternoon and welcome to a Friday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell here. And Delaney, of course, today's episode is sponsored by Zyway Brand Fungicides by FMC. But Delaney, I have quite a bit of news to talk about today. But the first thing that I have to get out of the way is it is absolutely so windy in Texas for the past two days now. We had to tie my sister's trampoline to like our iron fence so it wouldn't blow away. And then I've been seeing pictures and stuff from, you know, my friends that are still back in Lubbock and there was a giant haboob, it looks like yesterday. So it is incredibly windy. Well, I think I'd take your wind over the weather we're having here this morning because I left this morning and it was, it was raining. Uh, Then by the time I got to my client's uh, office, which was about two hours away, it was a uh, raining slash snowing slash sleeting. So it's just a big disgusting mess. It's like right at that weird temperature where things are not freezing. So everything is just getting muddy and slushy and gross. I definitely don't like that. Don't envy you. Although the wind, you know, is bringing a touch of cold. It's still only about 50 or so degrees here. So nothing too low. So. Well, you know, and, and, especially down in your neck of the woods, you really could use some of this moisture that we're having up here. This was an interesting resource that was rolled out at Commodity Classic, or at least really highlighted while I was there. But NASA has a lot of different satellite prediction tools that they can utilize. It's it's really neat. You can look at anything from like where crops are grown to getting satellite imagery to being able to predict and look at subsoil moisture. And NASA's Short-Term Prediction and Transition Center put out that the Corn Belt has really limited soil moisture available, and especially down there in your neck of the woods, Ashton, into Texas and uh, Kansas, Nebraska, all of those states are having a really dry subsoil moisture, which as we get rolling here, as planters really start to hit the fields here over the next couple of weeks, is going to be a major problem. And NASA also has state ranks based on how much moisture is available in their state relative to other states, which is certainly interesting to look at as well. And there's a lot of states that are pretty dry in your neck of the woods, Ashton. So certainly don't uh, don't want to brag about getting rain today because there are folks down there that really could use it. Absolutely, Delaney, there sure are. But I only have one piece of domestic news today, so I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. It's talking about the USDA's spot market hog pandemic program. The USDA has modified eligibility requirements for this program in order to better aid pork producers who did business through the spot market between April 16th and September 1st of 2020 due to a reduction in packer production. And honestly, Delaney, it blew my mind just a little bit that we're still talking about, um, you know, reduced packer production and really all of 2020 and that people are still trying to get help from that. But, you know, it kind of makes sense still because, you know, we're 
only about two years out and we're still seeing some smaller ramifications than, you know, we had been right when we were in the middle of it there in 2020. But either way, the agency clarified their definitions of spot market sales and sales to a packer to better reflect non-traditional transactions, including sales to dealers, coal markets, meat lockers, and others. The application deadline has also been extended to April 29th. So anyone who has already submitted their claims are allowed to amend their applications if that is so needed. Um, So folks, if you have submitted your application, uh, you won't be left in the dark. You're able to amend those things and look a little bit further into that. And if you haven't submitted anything, you have a little bit more time to do so. Well, Ashton, I'm going to take us away from some serious news here. I've got a little bit of fun news for our Friday conversation here, and that's talking about the historic uh, 6666 Ranch, which is the ranch that is featured in Yellowstone, the one that Jimmy gets sent to by uh, John Dutton in, in the final season here. And one other side fun piece of news that I like to mention is I didn't realize this until maybe this last season, but Jimmy is actually from Iowa. And this is really a kind of a strange note, uh, but he actually has popped up in my people you may know on Facebook. We have some mutual friends, which is odd enough to think that I'm a uh, one connection point away from someone famous. But anyways, this ranch is, of course, not a made up Hollywood set. It's an actual 266,000 acre operation uh, based near Guthrie, Texas. And it recently sold through United Country Real Estate. And although no buyer prices have been available, it was listed for $341 million, Ashton. Yeah, that doesn't come as too big of a surprise for me just because I drive past uh, the four sixes every time I come home. And not only is it long, you know, just driving past it, it takes about five or so minutes just to drive past, but it also is incredibly wide. So they just have acres on acres on acres. So that number didn't really astonish me, to be honest. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting that you would drive right past it, huh? You'll have to snap a picture next time you go past for us. I always think about doing that, but I don't want you to get upset with me for Snapchatting and driving. So I haven't done it yet, but... You have to pull over to do it. (laughs) Well, I'm going back to Lubbock tomorrow. So stay tuned and I might have a little sneak peek for you. Can't wait for that, Ashton. But uh, before we get to our next piece of news, let's hear a quick word, Ashton, from today's sponsor. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Picking back up here, Delaney, I have an interesting piece of news because it's talking about crypto. I have seen a ton of stuff about crypto. We've talked a little bit about those kinds of things here on the podcast, but this one really is, I think, taking the ag world perhaps by storm. I don't know if it's strong enough to to really make that claim yet, but Santander has launched an agriculture loan 
with crypto assets. And I was a little bit confused by this, but this article goes on to say that Santander has joined forces with AgroToken to develop loans for farmers in Argentina that are secured by tokens related to ag products. So a pilot has already been carried out with local producers, which is enabling them to access finance against products like corn, soybeans, and wheat. So each token represents one ton of grain sold and delivered by the farmer to a wholesaler. In addition, these tons of grain are also validated through a proof of grain reserve certificate, which is a system that the partners say is transparent, secure, decentralized, and auditable. Once the farmers have their digital assets, these agro tokens can then be used to carry out various transactions, taking into account the three price indices set in aggregate with the MAD. Matva Rofex Group, which reflect in real time the value of the grains. But I thought that this was a little insane, to be honest. Yeah, that is. I would love to interview someone about that program because that's kind of one of the first we've seen using the crypto space directly tied to agriculture. And I think a lot of farmers have question marks, you know, about how they can be involved. And a lot of farmers have wanted to trade crypto, but this is certainly taking things to the next level. I would definitely agree. And, you know, the um, head of agribusiness for Santander Argentina said that this is actually the first time that a financial services platform has used blockchain and crypto assets. So I think it's absolutely amazing. I think it's interesting. Will it work? Will it not work? I have no idea. I haven't researched crypto enough to really know, but we might just have to interview somebody to get a little bit further info, Delaney. We certainly will, Ashton. And I tell you what, I've got just one piece of story left. And I think today's interview is definitely going to be a hard one, but it's an important one. And we're, we're chatting today with a Ukrainian farmer who is going through firsthand all of the events we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. And, and it's interesting to note, Ashton, it's been three weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine. I, I, to be honest, feel like it's been a lot longer than that at this point. And I can only imagine that case feels the same. The farmer we're going to chat with here in just a moment but as we're continuing to get new information out about whether or not they're going to get that crop planted, we're continuing to see a lot of price volatility in the commodity markets. And we're still hearing some continued news out of South America as well as to whether or not we've seen reductions to the Brazilian soybean crop uh, enough. And so I think in that light, Ashton, I'll be honest, it's a little hard to hear Case in a few instances. He was on his way heading to Berlin to meet with legislators there and just was on the train and, and hopped on a quick call with me. But I think his messaging is really empowering and hopefully puts in perspective for all of our listeners just how dire this situation is for those farmers over there in Ukraine. Absolutely. And you know, Delaney, he talks about seeing, you know, dead soldiers in the field and, you know, Russian soldiers had put landmines in some of these fields. So farmers are really going to have a difficult time if they're even able to make it into the fields for planting. So I think it really gives a, a harsh insight to what we're seeing. But I mean, they're living through this harsh reality. So it's... um I don't even know how to put it into words, you know, hearing what he has to say, but 
nonetheless, I am ready for our listeners to hear that. So I'm just going to wrap things up really quickly with a story coming out of Greece because we're seeing another protest hit some of these Greek islands because these farmers... Um, some on tractors even protested in Athens earlier today, demanding more tax cuts and subsidies to combat high fuel and fertilizer prices. These farmers who staged weeks of protests over high energy prices earlier this year, which I didn't even you know, know about. I didn't pay attention to that. So I'm glad that we have a little bit of a follow-up or more to add to that story here. But they say that their costs are so high, they will be forced to produce less and also raise prices for consumers, which is a story that is all too familiar with a lot of folks um, really across the globe here. But just wanted to point that out, Delaney, that we're seeing yet another protest and really just due to fuel and fertilizer costs. Absolutely, Ashton. And speaking of fuel and fertilizer costs, I suppose we better look at where commodity prices ended for today. Well, Delaney, before we get into the markets, we've got to put a quick pause on this conversation and hear from today's sponsor. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Kicking things back off here in the markets, not great news when looking into the grains. Right across the screen here, kicking things off with the corn contract, the May closed 12 and three quarters cents lower at 741 and three quarters. The July down six and a half, down six and a quarter to close at 712 and a half. In soybeans, the May contract was down a half a cent to close at 1668. The July down one and a half cents to close at 1645 and three quarters. In wheat, the May contract was down 34 and a quarter to close at 1063 and three quarters. The July closed 31 and a quarter cent lower at 1044 and three quarters. Heading over, looking into the livestock markets, a little bit better news here in cattle. The live cattle April contract was up $1.02 and a half to close at 140.50. The June contract closed $1.15 higher at 137.07 and a half. Feeder cattle, the April contract closed $1.22 and a half higher at 162.32 and a half. The May of $1.57 and a half closed at 167.45. In lean hogs, the April contract was down 95 cents to close at 99.40. The May closed 90 cents lower at 107.10. Closing our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the April contract was up 14 cents at 23.37. The May closed 35 cents higher at 24.10. With that, let's kick it over to Delaney's conversation with Case, talking a little bit more about what's going on in Russia live from the scene. Well, folks, I've finally been able to secure the interview with the Ukrainian farmer that I've been teasing all week, Case Housinga, who is a farmer south of Kiev. And Case, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I know you are on a train right now as we're talking to go speak with members of German parliament. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But I just want to get a little bit of your background and understand the situation going on right now in Ukraine. You're quite a ways south of Kiev. What is 
your farm operation? What does it look like day to day? Uh, yeah, so we've, we've been farming in Ukraine for uh, for 20 years now, and our farm is uh, 15,000 hectares, which is like 40,000 acres. And we milk 2,000 dairy cows, um, and we have 450,350 hectares of vegetables, of onions and carrots, under drip irrigation. Um, I mean, now it's, it's it's still winter. I mean, spring is spring is coming. And we have to go out uh, seeding in in a week or two, depending a little bit on the weather. So you know, when we had a we had a, a very nice uh, year last year with good yields and good prices. So we we had uh, great plans for the future. And then all of a sudden, you know, Putin started throwing bombs on the country. And uh, now we're defending the country and trying to save what we can save, you know. And hopefully, we can seed something and plant something this spring. But um, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And you've been really great. I've noticed about sharing your story, being really vocal. You're part of the Global Farmer Network. So that's certainly helped to amplify your voice during this trying time. But tell us a little bit more about the boots on the ground perspective. I mean, you know, this is a hard subject to talk about, but what is it really like there from your perspective around your farm and in the country? Yeah, so around our farm, it's not so uh, bad, I mean, physically. Uh, of course, there's roadblocks all over the place, you know, And uh, but I mean, we know the people in the area, so for us, it's not it's not really scary. But, uh, you know, it just delays everything. Uh, but, I mean, there's no fighting going on in our place. But, you know, the farmers in the south, in the east, in the north, they are... Uh, I mean, they can't go to the fields because there's Russian things all over the place, you know, and uh, they're afraid to get shot at. And I mean, I just heard a story from a colleague in the north, and there's uh, the Russians placed the landmines on the fields, so you know, it's afraid to drive around. They were tractors, and even even further away, there's dead Russian soldiers still lying in the fields, you know. So they can't go there either. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's really brutal. That's I mean. That's something we wouldn't have, we wouldn't, we didn't expect, uh, because you you, Ukraine has had a peace for 80 years as well. So, um, uh, this is, I mean, this is kind of, this is like really rockets falling from the blue sky, you know, out of the blue. And Casey, you mentioned that your portion of the farm there south of Kiev hasn't had too many issues, thankfully, and it sounds like you'll hopefully be able to get planted. But for those farmers that are in areas where there's a lot of heavy warfare going on, what's the likelihood that they'll be able to get into the field? Close to zero. Close to zero or zero. You know, either either there's mines lying there or there is... Uh, um, Russians standing there with things, or they don't have fuel, or they don't have seeds. You know, unless logistically they can't get it anymore. There's also uh, farms being destroyed by Russian uh, uh, bombs and grenades. You know, so those guys they don't have they don't have machinery anymore. Yeah, so you know, it looks like uh, Russians do this on purpose. You know, to um, I mean, to kind of starve uh, Ukraine. And Case, 
is your family still there on the farm with you or were you able to get some of your family out of the country? Uh, we are there. I mean, my wife and kids, we were there. I mean, when it all started. Mm-hmm. And my wife and kids, they left uh, the first day by car. And I mean, they dr- they had to drive past um, ammunition depot, not far from our place, which was bombed by a, by a rocket from Russia. So they, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't drive past that thing because, I mean, everything was blocked. So, you know, they had to take, uh, and of course, we were kind of in panic and afraid. So they had to, uh, they, t- they, they took all kind of little back roads and cobblestone roads to get to the Romanian border. We have, uh, we have friends there. You know, it's in, in a trip which takes normally four to five hours, took them 13 hours. Uh, you know, because they only took the small roads. They were afraid to take the big roads, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, but they were very well taken care of in the border, you know. They they, they, they stayed at a friend's place for, a, they slept for a few hours there. And then they left uh, the car behind at their friend's place. And they walked uh, three, four miles towards the border, you know, to cross the border because they had, the queue for cars was just so big. It would have taken them days to get over. And then on the other side of the border, we have a friend, and they stayed a few nights there. And then from there, they flew to uh, to the Netherlands. So, you know, they they were safe from the very first day, and I stayed for 10 more days. And then uh, our agricultural uh, association um, asked me to go to the Netherlands, to Western Europe, to talk to, to the media, to politicians, you know, to spread the word about Ukraine. And uh, because they said, if we lose internet here in the country, we can't talk to anybody, anyone anymore. So please go and, and do this job. You know, <laughs> I'm here I'm talking to you and talking to, I, I've talked to many politicians, the Minister of Foreign Affairs from the Netherlands, the Minister of Agriculture, Prime Minister. Um, I talked to the Vice President of European Union. Uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of members of parliament to a lot of uh, newspapers, television channels, radio, you know, and through the Global Farmer Network, they're also a huge, uh, huge support for us, for Ukraine. So, you know, they, they also do a great job in, in spreading this message, you know. And, and, you know, the message is not only about Ukraine. It's, um, I mean, if, we, if Ukraine can't um, plant, then we can't harvest, and then a lot of people in in African countries and Middle Eastern countries, they will starve of hunger because they don't have anything to eat because it doesn't come from Ukraine. So in the conversations that you're having with a lot of these politicians, and I know you're on the train right now to talk to some German politicians as well, what's the message or what's the thing that you're asking them to do or, or bringing awareness to? Yeah, you know, most of them, they don't understand that you only have one chance per year of, of, of seeding and you have one chance per year, at least in most parts of the world, of harvesting. You know, and that if we, and this chance for Ukraine, it'll start in a few weeks and then we have a few weeks time to, to finish it. And if we don't do this, we won't harvest anything. You know, and there's a, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of politicians and a lot of normal people who don't understand this. I just talked to a few hours ago to a, to a journalist and he asked me, do you already see any decline in production? I said, sorry, 
I don't understand your question. I mean, do you notice already that your production is going down? Is it the production from last year is in stock or we sold it already? The production from this year we just don't put in the soil. So there's you know that that question already um it shows that he that he doesn't know how agriculture works. You know, and that's a lot of people in the world and also a lot of politicians don't understand how it works. That really you have to put a seed in the ground to get a loaf of bread on your uh, on your plate uh, half a year later. And Ukraine is such a large player in feeding the world. You know, we shared this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but Ukraine it accounts for about 600 million mouths to feed. You know, you're able to produce a lot of crops and commodities that we produce here in the United States as well and do it just as efficiently and, and uh, with just as productive of ground as we have here in Iowa, where I'm located. But Casey, you mentioned that some of the farmers are going to have about a 0% chance of getting planted. For your farm specifically, do you have any concerns about getting the crop in the ground or being able to find availability of fertilizer, seed, chemical, anything like that? Yeah, so fuel availability is a problem. We have enough to get started, but we're not sure if we'll get enough to get to, to finish the planting, and let alone harvesting. Uh, fertilizer, we will use uh, less because we're not sure we can get everything we need. So, you know, we'll, we'll settle for lower yields this year anyway. Um, yeah, and crop protection, that's more or less available. We have to course look for it but i think we've managed to, to get everything on stock uh, and spare parts from machinery is a problem most of it has to come from abroad and that logistics chain is uh, also uh, very poor now yeah, anyway so that's i mean we get started and you know it's a day day by day uh, situation and we'll see where we where uh, where we get stranded. Yeah. And so, Case, as you kind of look at the future of of farming, this this production cycle there in Ukraine, if you had to guess, how much of the country do you think will be in your shoes where they'll be able to get planted potentially pending, you know, fuel and other available inputs? And how much of the country do you think just won't simply be able to get planted at all? Oh, that's difficult to say. I just think somewhere between 10 and 10, 10, 10 15 percent won't get planted at all, 20 percent maybe. Um, but also depends on the availability, you know, of the individual farmers, how they will be able to uh, to get their inputs uh, on their farm on time. So, but not, and so, yeah, I mean, this was for me to say, but the, I mean, the general yield, but, but it's one thing 10 to 20% not planted, and then less yield of the rest of the country because most of the farmers are lacking, uh, lacking uh, fertilizer, and, and everybody will have a problem with timing. So, um, yeah, that will be. That would be so. That would also decrease the general yields, you know. And I mean, even if we get everything planted, a big part planted in harvesting. I mean, if the Russians are still in front of the of the harvest on the on the Black Sea coast, then we can't get it skipped out. Or if they if they start bombing Odessa, you know, and they destroy a few seaports, 
then uh, you know logistically we can't get it out. And by train to the west, it doesn't work because Ukraine has a, a wide railroad track and Europe has a small railroad track, so you have to uh, overload it somewhere in Poland. But that overloading capacity is just not there. So um, you know, there's a lot of links in this chain that are very vulnerable. And, uh, and, and that's that's also the reason why it has to stop. You know, and why the Western world and maybe the United States could uh, just call it a call a halt, you know, and, and if needed by uh, by force. And case final question for you: for those farmers listening here in the United States or elsewhere in the world, what can we do to help during this tough time for Ukrainian farmers? Yeah, push on your government. Tell them to stop it. You know, uh, and not be afraid of the Russians. The Russian army is not uh, is not good at all. I mean, I, as a farmer in the towns, we had Russian Russian soldiers on his farm, and they slept in the calf barn on straw. So you know, the, the Russian army can't even take uh, well care of the soldiers. Um, you know, they're running out of diesel fuel. Uh, I mean, only a few Ukrainians with some anti-tank weapons and anti-aircraft weapons, they are stopping this Russian army, you know, which Putin was kind of bluffing about. And and Russia is so corrupt, um, I think 70% of their defense budget is uh, stolen. And uh, as an example, you know, the Olympic Winter Games in Sochi, Mm-hmm. They were the most expensive winter games ever. Um, and they were uh, more expensive than all the winter games together before this, you know. So, because it, there was so much corruption involved. So, you know, we shouldn't be too afraid of the Russians and of their army. They are bluffing a lot. Absolutely. Well, certainly appreciate your time and you continuing to share the story across social media and with outlets, including ours. And we certainly are keeping you and and everyone over there in our thoughts and prayers. So thank you again so much, Case, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again there to Case for talking to Delaney on his way to Berlin. I think, like I said, it's a harsh reality that a lot of folks are living in in Ukraine. And we're really seeing some ramifications kind of break through just from reactions from other countries, sanctions. You know, we've been talking about this a ton on the podcast. So I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but it's just crazy to hear live what's going on, you know, from somebody that's actually boots on the ground in Ukraine telling us what's going on over there. But folks, we're going to continue to cover this story as it develops. So be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram while you're at it as we keep up. With that, I'm going to let the people go.